0: You're listening to the Sermons Podcast of First Baptist Church, Mount Washington. We're having the Lord's Supper in in just a little bit, so we've rearranged the service to uh, reflect the time uh, for that. But I invite you to turn in your Bibles to Romans uh, chapter 5. We're actually going to be looking at chapter 6, 1 through 5, but I want us to begin reading at chapter 5, verse 20, uh, for the sake of context. So I'm excited to uh, uh, return to Romans, uh, our study of Romans, though it seems like to me that the farther along um, uh, that we get, the more fear and trepidation that I have, uh, that I experience from it. Uh, I think I've made the analogy, and others have too, that uh, preaching through Romans is like hiking or climbing uh, Mount Everest and uh, the views keep getting better and better the higher that we get up but uh, the difficulty grows as well uh, with each step and so with great effort and great desire, I trust on your part uh, and perseverance We uh, look to the word of the Lord this morning with His uh, Spirit to help us. And so we begin reading in Romans chapter 5, uh, verse 20. Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So that, as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. Let's pause for prayer. Lord, we quieten ourselves, our minds before you, Lord, with a prayer that you would please give us ears to hear and and hearts to receive, and and in this case, minds to understand the great thing that you have done for us in salvation, in Jesus. And so we say, thank you, Lord, as we've sung this morning. We've come to behold the glory of this mystery, the gospel of Jesus. Lord, please help us to understand it even better now as you speak to us from your word. And I pray that you would use me as your servant. I pray that you would increase and I would decrease and your word would go forth. And I pray it in Jesus' name, amen. Well, it's very apparent as we read verses like this that we are turning to another crucial chapter in Romans, and yet once again, it's by no means an easy chapter. Uh, and yet from, from Paul's perspective, uh, this is something that every Christian ought to know, every Christian. I mean, you can hear it, I think, in Paul's sense of disbelief and astonishment when he says, do you not know, right? Do you not know that all of us who've been Baptized into Christ Jesus, were baptized into his death. Do you not know what happened to you when you became a Christian? Isn't this making a radical difference in the way that you live your life? And yet this knowledge that Paul's talking about here requires thinking on our parts to understand it. And part of my desire for you as your pastor is that, is that all of us, we would become the kind of Christians that when we come across passages like this and, and others that we're going to in Romans, that we don't say, um, I don't want to be a Christian who thinks, uh, or I don't want to be a Christian who goes, uh, who, who does doesn't want to go deeper in… Uh, in the Word or in the Christian life, but that we would rather be the kind of people who would want to understand God's Word. Christians who think biblically and who desire to understand it and to know it more and more. John Stott notes that the secret of holy living for the Christian, the secret for the holy living of the Christian lies in the mind. In in the mind. It's when the word of God penetrates our minds and begins to shape our understanding that it touches our wills, it touches our affections, it touches our desires, and it transforms our lives into Christ-likeness. And it's knowledge that is the key to growth in holiness. Boy explained it like this. The secret of sanctification is not some neat set of experiences or emotions, however meaningful or intense they may be. The secret is knowing what has happened to you. Knowing. This is what Paul is trying to get across in this passage, and it's very plain, isn't it? Do you know what has happened to you, Christian? Just look at the passage in general. We're we're just beginning it here in in chapter 6, but listen to his emphasis on knowing. Verse 3, you saw it right there. Do you know? He asked. Uh, Verse 6, look at your Bibles, not to me. Look in your Bibles. Verse 6, the emphasis, you're looking at me. Look at the Word. We know. Do you see it there, the phrase? We know. Verse 8, look at verse 8. We believe. Uh, Verse 9, we know. Uh, Verse 11, consider yourselves. In other words, this is how I want you to think about yourself as a Christian. So, So for Paul, what a believer knows, what he or she believes and understands and thinks is incredibly important in the Christian life. Kent Hughes puts it like this, memorably, Paul was convinced that Christian living depends on Christian learning. Duty follows doctrine. And so it's the business of the Christian, it should be in our lives, to know more of God's Word, to understand it better in order to to live it more faithfully. It's one of the reasons that we preach, that I preach the way that I do and why I'm concerned about models of preaching um, that are driven by life application only, uh, that, that uh, with only a smattering of the truth uh, to point you to that application. It's not that application is, is uh, not important, but, but that kind of pro- approach tends to make for shallow believers. Because I hope that you would agree with me on this that the application of God's Word is only as strong as the truth in which we understand it, that it's built upon. Christian living depends on Christian learning. This is the pattern of the New Testament. You see it over and over and again. And the model of Paul, it's the pattern, and it's what we find right here in Romans chapter 6. Your knowing affects your living. So what is it that Paul wants us to know? What does he want us to understand? What is so critical here and so fundamental here uh, that he he wants everybody, every Christian uh, to know? Well, let's just look at the text and and think about it some more. Three headings uh, to guide us this morning. First of all, an unthinkable question. An unthinkable question. Verse one and two, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound by no means how can we who died to sin still live in it the unthinkable question there is now that we're under grace are we to continue in sin are we to continue in sin now Paul has just finished painting this incredible picture of the people of God in chapter 5 And you remember back in chapter 5, verse 1, having therefore been justified by faith, we're now standing in grace, he said. We're enjoying, we're rejoicing in hope. And he shows us, he paints that full picture for us that we used to belong to Adam, who was the author of sin and death. We were in Adam, we were under Adam, under the reign of Adam. His sin was our sin, his death was our death. But now, through faith in Jesus, we belong to Him who is the author of salvation and life. We are under now the reign of Christ, Paul says, the reign of grace. His salvation is ours. His life is ours. And therefore, grace reigns, Paul says. It's amazing how he puts it at the end of chapter 5, verse 20. Where sin increased, he said, grace abounded all the more so that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. What a beautiful truth. Now, I remind you that Paul's critics had already been accusing him back in chapter 3, verse 8. And why do you why not do evil that good may come as some people slanderously charged us with saying paul says it gives us a clue here to what paul's critics were saying about him as he preached the gospel and the message of the great of grace and he dismissed their charge in verse 8 as just slander but here in chapter 6 he answers their charge he answers it. Their criticism was essentially this. If what you're saying is true, Paul, that if, if grace uh, increases, where sin increases, grace increases all of the more, then, then logically, Paul, it seems like we should increase our sinning so that we'll get more grace. That's what they were saying. Uh, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? The technical term for this is antinomianism, meaning anti-law or anti-morality. In other words, we don't really need to worry about following the moral law of God. Why be concerned about holiness? Why be concerned in your life about doing what is right and following God's moral law? Because we know, after all, that His grace is only going to increase every time that we sin, and so you might as well just go on and sin all you want. Amen? Amen? Don't amen that. That's not right, is it? I hope that strikes you. That's not right. That, that can't be. And it's right. And it's doubtful any of us here today would say, oh, that's right. We would come right out and say that uh, per se. But have we ever caught ourselves, and perhaps you have if you are really honest with yourself, have, perhaps you've caught yourself um, making light of your own sin on the grounds that His grace covers it. Or maybe that we don't really need to be worried about pursuing holiness of God and really thinking about that at all, because after all, Jesus, He's already paid it all. We've got the fire insurance, right? So we can live however we want. This is the essence of the question. Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? Are we to persist in our sins, in other words? Now, Paul's response here should be our response, right? By no means. By no means. No way, he says. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. He's been a Christian now for so long that when he hears something that might uh, smack of some kind of rejection or denial of the gospel, Paul instinctively responds, and it's a passionate response, isn't it? Paul doesn't live on his emotions for sure, but but yet his emotions have clearly been impacted by the truth of the gospel, and it causes kind of an emotional reaction. I think we're to hear emotion in this. What do you mean should we go on sinning so that grace may abound? That's unthinkable. To think this way is really to miss what Paul has been saying in the first five chapters of Romans. And more so even, it is to miss the whole point of what has happened to you in Christ, in salvation. Notice how Paul explains this. It's very interesting. Things that he could have said, he didn't say. He does not say, by no means, um, you should keep the Ten Commandments which would be a true statement. I mean, uh, there's some truth in that. You, should we keep on sinning? Absolutely not. We, we, still, we, we should obey the Ten Commandments. There's truth, but that's not what Paul says. Paul instead wants us to, again, to grasp something of the glory and something of the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ into our lives. So he says, uh, he really answers with another question, verse 2, How can we who died to sin sin, still live in it? Now, that question, that truth there is key to this whole chapter. I mean, that's what this whole chapter is about. And it's really one of the the most significant statements, again, in in Romans. You you could argue that what everything Paul says can flow from this, this statement of truth. He who died to sin, we who died to sin. You might say it something like this, um, how can we, who uh, as Christians are the kind of people who have died to sin, how can we possibly go on sinning? How can that be? Notice the word we, Paul emphasizes it there, being, we being what we are, our uniqueness, he's saying. That, that, that something has happened, that we are a special, uh, we have a special position now in God, uh, a uniqueness there, and, and it's what makes this question, I think, unthinkable. Paul's saying if you, if you truly realize who you are and what has happened to you in becoming a Christian, this, the, your position in Christ, this question is absolutely absurd. We who died to sin, he says. What does that mean? When did you die to sin? Well, what, is he, what is he talking about here? We know that he's not saying that we died for sin, right? Only Jesus dies for sin. But Paul is also not saying that we died to sin as though this is a something that we do. That's not what is being said here, Paul is describing something in the verbiage that he is using here that has happened to us. In fact, the verb tense is, is, is something in the past. We have died. We, we died to it. He's referring to one act, to one event... To, to one something that has happened at a unique point uh, in our history, something that has happened to you once and forever. And, and, and he's pointing us back to chapter 5 and even before, that that something that has happened to you is, is the change that happened when you ceased to be in Adam, and by faith you, ha- you are now in Christ. This happened to you. Lloyd-Jones puts it like this. His whole point is to say this, that if you are a believer on the Lord Jesus Christ, if you are justified by faith, if you are in Christ, you have finished with sin. You are dead to the reign of sin, the power of sin. You are under the reign of grace. By that phrase, died to sin, he's talking about your salvation, Christian. You were saved, he says. This is his answer to the question. In more specific terms, you were, chapter 5, one time under the reign of Adam and sin, but now you are under the reign of Jesus Christ and grace. To be dead to sin is to be out from under its reign, out from under its rule. Paul says, Said it slightly differently in Colossians chapter 1, verse 13. He explained it. He says, he has delivered us from the domain. You hear the domain, the reign, the kingdom of darkness. And he's transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. Here's what's happened to you. He's saying that the moment that you became a Christian, you were transferred from the kingdom of darkness and sin and all that came with it. You've been transferred into the kingdom of Jesus Christ. You have been separated from Adam, and you have been united in Christ and His kingdom. Praise the Lord. The kingdom of Jesus, the kingdom of grace, is much more powerful than the kingdom of Adam and the kingdom of sin. Amen? These bonds of sin that used to hold you, your union with Christ now has removed and it has produced righteousness and life in you. This is why the question is unthinkable. So Paul is saying that to think this question, to even ask this question, to even have this thought on your mind, I think I'm going to go on sinning so th- so that more grace will increase. You have he's saying you have no idea of how grace works. You have you've misunderstood the whole thing. You have no idea of the transformation that you've that you've had that's been done to you in Christ. It's unthinkable. It's so shocking to Paul that he can't just stop at that explanation. He's got to tell us more uh, in this. And so notice, secondly, a profound identity, verse 3. Do you not know that all of us who've been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into His death? We were buried, therefore, with Him by baptism into death. Again, notice this question. Do you not know this? Do you not understand this? You've been baptized, he says. Now the baptism here that he's speaking of, uh, notice it is a baptism into his death. He's not talking so much about a water baptism here, but really about a divine baptism that has happened to you. God has baptized us into Christ's death. That's what he's saying. What's being emphasized here is not anything that we do as believers, but what has happened to us. This happened, the fact that we've been joined with Christ, we were in Adam, and now we are in Christ. Water baptism is a picture of this, isn't it? It's symbolic of this, but it doesn't produce what Paul is, is saying. What Paul is talking about is this union itself. This immersion, the realization that because we are in Christ, we have been baptized into his death. Look at verse five, it makes it even a little more plain. He says, For if we have been united with him in a death like his, united with him. That is, the moment that you became a Christian, you were united with Christ, and you were also united uh, into his death. You were baptized. Into his death. You have a new identity in Christ. Let's explain it maybe a slightly different way. Because I think it's the same teaching that Paul mentions. And you will know this verse. Many of you know this verse very well. Galatians 2.20. It says this. I have been crucified with Christ. With Christ, right? And it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. That's the same thing Paul's saying here in Romans 6, only he's using the word baptized. He's saying you were baptized into his death. Here's what this means. So that you no longer live, but Christ lives in you. Notice the finality of this verse 4 when he says, We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death. We think about burial Uh, We think about laying a a loved one's body in the ground, covering it with dirt. We're, We're thinking about the sense of finality that that produces in us. And it seems that that's what Paul is trying to drive home, that this finality, there's a finality to this, that the finality of being removed from the rule and reign of sin and death. We have not only died to it, we have been buried to it. It's gone. It's it's final. He's saying, don't you understand you've been baptized into into his death? Don't you understand what it actually means to be a Christian? Don't you see the contradiction there that if you have died to sin, that you, you can't go on living in it? To go back to it? To persist in it, to continue in it, you've, you've been joined to Christ. To do that is like digging up a, a dead body. To continue in sin is not who we are. This is why he uses the language of baptism, um, the ritual that they had experienced right at the beginning of their Christian lives. How, how simplistic. Paul's saying to them, don't you understand this is the very essence of what it means to be a Christian? This is the very beginning It marked your your Christian life. Please tell me that you know this. The gospel is not just a matter of God wiping the slate clean and then telling you to get on living with your life any way that you want to live. No. The gospel involves doing something that radically transforms who you are. That when you came to Christ, you've been baptized by His Holy Spirit, into His death. You've been united with Him in His death. When Christ died, we died. And now that we are in Christ, His death is our death. But it gets even better. His resurrection is our resurrection. We've been raised to walk a a new life, he said. That's the third thing, a new life. We were buried therefore with Him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we've been united with Him in a death like His, we shall certainly be united with Him in a resurrection like His." Friends, this is not something that we're hoping for today. We've not come today to strive for this or to hope for this. or, or uh, 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 any. This has happened to us. Already, he's saying, because we were in Christ. We died with Him. We were buried with Him. We rose with Him, and now we live with Him. This new life is ours, he's saying. 2 Corinthians 5.17, if anyone is in Christ, he is a... He's a new creation what else the old the old has passed away we've died to it behold the new has come and so again his point is how could you continue on in sin why would would you ask that question you and I have been raised with Christ to walk in newness of life not oldness of sin Our baptism, again, pictures this reality, doesn't it? This is why sometimes we say, you hear pastors say when they're baptizing someone buried with Christ in baptism, and what does he say? Raised to walk in newness of life. This is Christianity 101, Paul says. Do you not know this? Of course we've died to sin. We no longer live in it, but rather we live a new life in Christ. Now, believe it or not, Paul's going to explain this further, beginning in verse 6, because it's so important. But his main point here is that we recognize what has happened to us. This is a great place for us to think about this morning, um, that we recognize that we have a new identity, a new position, a new life in Christ. John Owens was a great Puritan writer, And uh, he once said that there are two great problems in pastoral ministry. Two great problems. First, he said, is persuading those who are under the dominion of sin that they are actually under the dominion of sin. And he said, this is the problem of evangelism, isn't it? I mean, you have friends, you've got family members, you've got neighbors um, who don't see themselves as in Adam. They do not understand and fathom the fact that they are under the reign of sin and death and facing the judgment of God. And the great pastoral challenge, the great task is to persuade them of that reality from the truth, praying for them, the Holy Spirit would open their eyes to see. That's evangelism, right? To persuade those who are under the dominion of sin that that they're under the dominion of sin. But the second problem, he said, is persuading those who are no longer under the dominion of sin, that they are no longer under the dominion of sin. And so this is the problem of discipleship, is the challenge of it, that in Christ we have have a glorious freedom from the reign and power of sin. And since we've been transferred from that kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of God's beloved Son, Jesus Christ, that we now can walk a new life in Christ. Do you know this? If Paul is asking this of the Christians in Rome, don't you think we need to be asking it of ourselves this morning? Do you know this? I know one of the questions that would pop up in your mind is, is you're perhaps thinking to yourself, okay, pastor, if I've been delivered from the dominion of sin, this is such good news, then why am I still struggling with my sin? Well, why, why, why do I keep dealing with this, and why do I keep on, on sinning? Again, Lloyd-Jones, helpful here, uh, an illustration that he uses, he talks about uh, two fields. And so we're, you know, Mount Washingtonians, we can picture this, two fields with a road right down the middle of those two fields, and the field on the left, he said, represents the kingdom, the dominion of Satan, the territory of sin, and this is where all of us in Adam are. Uh, at least before Christ. But then he says the result of Christ in us is that we have been taken hold of and we've been moved to the field, a different field on the, on the other side of the road. And we're now in Christ, the kingdom of God's Son. And you see, Satan no longer, though he no longer can, can touch us, he can still shout across the road at us. <laughs> and he does, doesn't he? Anybody amen that? And he says, come back over here. Come back over here. I want you to come over here where sin is. And he tempts us and he calls to us to continue in our sin. But you see, we are no longer under his dominion. We're not in his field anymore. Praise God, we're in the field of Christ. Though we are are no longer under sin's power, you see, we would not yet been delivered from sin's presence and influence in our lives one day praise the lord we will be delivered from the, even the presence of sin when we get to heaven amen we will not have to deal with that any longer but until then we experience temptation and conflict but the great truth that paul is preaching here is that in our fight against sin, we are not battling for victory as though it were on us. We are battling from victory because Christ has already won, Christian. You're already in his field. We stand in his victory. Listen to these verses as we close. For freedom, Christ has set us free Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. James 4, 7. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. And then looking ahead, Romans 6, verse 11. Knowing all of this, consider yourselves dead to sin but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Because that is who you are, Christian. Do you know it? Lord, thank you for your word today. I pray that your Holy Spirit would impress these things onto our hearts and lives. For those that are here who are in a particular struggle or battle with sin. May these words give great assurance and encouragement to them to stand. To not give in to the yoke of slavery and of sin, but to know that in Christ that bond has been broken. May it May it in us do this transforming work to to know that we can leave this sin behind. We can resist. We can have victory because Christ has already won. May this encourage us today. And if there's someone here today that is still under the dominion and the power and the reign of sin and darkness, please, Lord, open their eyes to see that they would look to Christ as their Savior and Lord. Now, as we sing, Lord, and consider these things, our, our testimony, may we rejoice in what Christ has done for us and that it is all in Christ. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast.